Chapter Three of Policy and Passion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Policy and Passion by Rosa Campbell Prade. Chapter Three The Premier's Storekeeper. Barrington stood on the veranda of the inn and watched the coach till it was out of sight. Mr. Ferris, who had now emerged from the coffee-room, stole softly to the railings and sidled towards the Englishman, casting at the stranger furtive glances from his keen grey eyes, while with one lean hand he stroked his grizzled beard the sun was setting behind a range of distant hills storm-clouds were still threatening and the deepening dusk had mellowed the glaring white of the limestone ridges into neutral grey and had subdued into harmony the hard outlines and ungraceful colouring of the wooden and brick erections upon each side of the street not much of a view said mr ferris looking up in a bird-like way into barrington's face but picturesque in a manner of its own i suppose that one admires the landscape because it is unlike those with which one is familiar replied barrington european travellers say continued mr ferris that there are no striking features in australian scenery bah they cry the eye wearies of endless gum-trees but that is a mistake those who speak so have not penetrated into the heart of the country ah we have mountains in the coorong district sublime with a wild grandeur that i have never seen equalled it is nature nature only which reconciles me to my exile you call your life here exile said barrington i presume that you are english have you lived for long in australia nine years replied mr ferris no he added correcting himself it will be ten next september i find it difficult to calculate the course of time when the months are all alike and when they are passed in forests and not in cities yet to you a lover of natural beauty this ought not to be a hardship sir said mr ferris with a grandiloquent air i have my theories let the young seek inspiration in the woods the aged in the breadth of towns there is a close link between nature and humanity to glorify the one necessitates sympathy with the other a poet pent up for life upon the fairest desert island would produce few stanzas worthy of immortality you mean said barrington that the ideal must be yoked to the practical or inspiration becomes bathos you yourself are an artist perhaps i have indeed known the flutterings of enthusiasm and have tasted the bitterness of unappreciated effort said mr ferris in a joyless piping tone with his eyes fixed upon the wooden veranda post in mournful abstraction from his surroundings aspiration has been the keynote of my life failure its refrain that is a melancholy experience said barrington in a sympathetic manner 
how many are dowered with the yearnings of genius and cursed with executive inability cried mr ferris almost fiercely how many have lived too soon or too late in how many has the divine fire been almost quenched in youth and has emitted but a feeble flame in old age but why do i talk of myself he added with a sudden deprecatory gesture it is a morbid egotism that seeks vent in self-revelation to a passing stranger leichardt's land only sees in me the shadow of her premier's greatness anthony ferris sir at your service thomas longleat's accountant store manager indoor man of all work at Kuralbin. he waited a moment then said i glean that you are a new arrival in australia but i have not heard your name barrington replied the englishman shortly i knew a man of that name said mr ferris in a tone of dismal retrospect a long time ago he was a friend of edmund keene poor keene he used to say if i had barrington always with me i should never go wrong did you ever see keene sir he added with sharp enthusiasm ah that was an actor such fire such wit i never knew shakespeare till i knew edmund keene he was rather before my time said barrington true you are a considerably younger man than i but i have seen others more nearly your contemporaries macready he was statuesque and had studied charles young kemble i could criticize these but keene deprived me of the power of judgment shall i ever forget that slender man of diminutive stature and finely chiselled features whose piercing orbs held the spectator spellbound while he spoke i saw him last in the merchant of venice signor antonio quoted mr ferris in a low intense voice with deep dramatic intonation then after repeating a few lines he suffered his head to droop dejectedly upon his breast i cannot do it he said the manner has passed from me i am getting old and i forget you saw longleat just now yes replied barrington i was interested amused by the excitement his arrival created people call him my patron thomas longleat patron to me there is a man who not many years ago was absolutely uneducated i taught him all that he knows of the classics i corrected his maiden speech in the assembly and now he jeers at me for a fool it is such a man as that who succeeds in australia may i ask whether you are visiting the antipodes from mere curiosity or whether you have thoughts of becoming a cattle farmer i shall remain in australia if the life suits me replied barrington it will not settle your mind at once upon that score you will be miserable whether you make money or lose what you have by and by you will acknowledge that i am a true prophet to the refined englishman reared amid the associations of art literature music the drama accustomed to european luxury and the charm of congenial society australia if not a hell of discontent must be a sink of degradation you speak strongly said barrington and certainly not encouragingly but i imagine that a man of moderate calibre would be content to exist in a country which afforded him the opportunity for becoming wealthy wealthy yah 
snarled anthony ferris in a manner indescribable upon paper money is after all but money's worth for instance what sort of occupation can there be to a man like me in weighing sacks of flour chronicling pounds of beef and calculating roods of fencing is it not a suffocating degrading slavery and such to you will be the disgusting routine of station life stock riding or shepherding branding or shearing buying and selling weariness of body and slow atrophy of intellect you are not young enough to anticipate compensating wealth when if it comes you will have lost the capacity for enjoyment excuse my curiosity are you married no replied barrington you will then lack the incentive of working for a beloved object which sweetens toil to me i dare say that the uneducated would consider my lot enviable i have abundance to eat and drink a comfortable house to live in i am putting by for the benefit of my child ferris's face softened curiously nevertheless you see before you a disappointed man may i ask in what particular line you were unsuccessful asked barrington there was none my ambition was boundless it embraced every phase of art vague aspiration has been my curse i had not courage or patience to continue struggling against fate had i possessed longleat's insensitive nature i might have succeeded mr longleat is also english by birth asked barrington curiously an odd malignant smile passed over mr ferris's face yes english by birth certainly good afternoon tom dungie he added addressing the mailman who had approached the veranda railing what is the news up daraba way it's you that ought to tell us the news mr ferris said dungie folks say that dyson maddox is to be the new minister for lands and that he is to marry miss longleat is it true do you think sir it's not unlikely said mr ferris miss longleat is a lady of caprices she may be seized with the caprice for matrimony i dare say i dare say and i wish it might be true but i have not been informed upon the subject well squeaked dungie in his nasal tones i'm sure i wish mr maddox joy of his bargain she's a handsome young woman and if she's got naught else she's got brass they do say as she is rare winnin gels with tin mines at their backs don't grow like wild cherries with the stones outside ready to be picked for the stretching tom dungie always chuckled audibly after uttering what he considered a sharp speech folks tell he whispered mysteriously that the young woman with the black eyes her that sat beside the premier on the coach is a rum sort and that he has got pretty thick with her lately do you think he's hit that's a married woman said mr ferris her husband is in the council marriage ain't no security remarked dungie reflectively i've heard said that twere like drinking a glass of dr grog directly you've swallowed one your mouth begins to parch for another and that's the way with women of a sort there's some of em as can't get on without men she warn't not to look at though it's colour as takes me but a man mostly fancies his opposite and longleat has got enough red for two 
"'I were told to look out for a gentleman from England,' added Dungy, making a lurch in Barrington's direction. "'The Lord at Deraba sent a act down and a pack oss for the swag. I said as I'd show the gentleman the shortcut, which is pretty stiff for a new chum.' "'Do you mean Lord Adolphus Bassett?' asked Barrington. "'Oh, that's his name, is it? Some folks calls him Mr. Bassett, and some Mr. Dolph, and other folks Lord Dolph. I never knowed rightly which it were, and it ain't of much odds.' "'I knew him in England,' said Barrington, "'and I am going to stay with him now. Does he live far from here?' "'Nigh upon forty mile. I shall start at daybreak with my mails. Can you ride, sir?' yes answered barrington laughing i asked because new chums don't mostly didn't know whether you'd be able to keep up with the little piebald she's a rare un to go she is that there lord ain't much of a hand with a buck jumper but my lady lord she can sit like old nick well you'll hear me callin in the mornin added dungy affably and with another bow which was accomplished by laying his hands upon the pit of his stomach and bending forward as far as the laws of balance would permit he walked away presently a bell rang in the coffee-room and all who had remained in the hotel flocked into a somewhat nondescript evening meal there was a smoking joint at one end of the table a tin teapot at the other and bread butter and vegetables were placed promiscuously down the sides two women who were respectively mrs brasher and her maid-of-all-work waited the bushmen rough specimens of humanity congregated together barrington and mr ferris took their seats a little apart from the rest of the company there was very little conversation while the meal was in progress the men were hungry and plied their knives and forks vigorously washing down the tough beef and hard bread with copious draughts of tea mr ferris who had taken his stimulant beforehand likewise drank tea barrington called for a pint of sherry and was brought a muddy decoction which he tasted made a wry face and sat down don't drink wine in australia said mr ferris it is bad take to spirits that is the way with most englishmen you'll start with theories about colonial wine i did but like me you'll find that they are a delusion there is a good wine made in the south but till the intercolonial duty is abolished it will never become the national drink brandy is cheaper so we ruin our nervous systems with strong tea and our digestions by promiscuous nips you will be asked a dozen times in the day to come and have a nip and if you are weak-minded as i am you will yield till you find that without a stimulant you are a poor creature the higher your mental calibre the more you'll drink it is longleat's boast that he is temperate yah a fig for temperance when a man has the fame of a hercules and the insusceptibility of a bullock-driver you don't seem to have much appetite i see that you have been accustomed to a different style of cooking if you have finished we will sit out in the veranda there's a storm in the west but its strength will be spent before it reaches kuya the thunder has cooled the air already and we shall be able to smoke in comparative comfort mr ferris led the way to the veranda and pulled two armchairs to a breezy corner he then produced his leather tobacco pouch and a short black pipe and began to smoke drawing deep breaths as though he enjoyed the narcotism the soft air and the fading light while every now and then he uttered in a snarling neutral tone some discursive 
remark upon australian customs or sneering allusion to his master he seemed a man oppressed by an immense burden of discontent the veranda was almost empty most of the bushmen had taken up their hats and had gone out there was a circus performing in a neighbouring street and the attraction weighed even against the charms of the coffee-room was too potent to be resisted every now and then shrill bursts of laughter and the braying of musical instruments sounded through the murky night of which the darkness was at regular intervals illuminated by flashes of sheet-lightning in the west you have lately come from england said mr ferris edging a little closer to his companion i dare say that you have lived in london eh yes said barrington with a short laugh i'm very well acquainted with london you've seen the best in the world then there's no place like london except perhaps paris lord peering with his little grey eyes into barrington's face that's what i call life balzac and paul de Kock, eh i dare say now that you know all the club gossip and theatrical scandal i like a spice of the devil it's piquant it's refreshing now it would interest me to hear who are the newest singers and actors and the painters who have become famous since i was in england i might perhaps recognize familiar names i used to be considered a good critic in my day at kooralbyn i have a few gems slight things done for me by comparatively insignificant artists in whom i saw the germs of future eminence if you are a lover of art i shall be happy at some time to show you the sketches barrington thanked the old man and humouring his fancy talked on with the air of one to whom the subject was familiar of the latest operas the last academy the newest scandals in the fashionable and artistic world the gossip of the clubs and theatres while every now and then mr ferris would interrupt him with some eager question which showed how deeply he was interested and you have left all this he exclaimed at length you have deliberately chosen a life of toil and discomfort amidst the wilds of australia in preference to one of refined enjoyment in england you surprise me my visit is only an experiment said barrington i have not yet determined to remain in australia excuse me said mr ferris with hesitating curiosity something in your manner and bearing leads me to suppose that you have been in the army am i right i was in the guards replied barrington incautiously a moment later he regretted his want of reticence the guards repeated ferris i am more than ever astonished that you can entertain even as an experiment the idea of living in australia i am no longer in the army said barrington curtly and added in a manner that left no room for further questioning i think you said that you knew lord dolph bassett he has a selection down the coorong about fifteen miles from coralbin coralbin is the name of mr longleat's property asked barrington anxious to divert the conversation from himself a native word i presume meaning the abode of serpents certain poetic swains have dubbed miss longleat the enchantress of coralbin and in a confusion of classical metaphors have addressed her in sonnets as medusa and circe apart from its feminine attraction coralbin is worth a visit the country is wild picturesque inspiring it might be the refuge of a timon or the dreamland of a poet come over and see it but you err in using the word property in your except 
acceptation of the term there is no property in australia the owner of freehold is the petty agriculturist the representative of a lower order of settler than the squatter the bloated aristocrat is he who leases from the crown and whose rich pastures are only his own till a new land law a mine or a railway turns a horde of free selectors loose upon his borders mr longleat professes impartiality and sympathy with all classes it is his political creed and he finds that it brings him in popularity lord dolph took up land on cool robin longleat smiled grimly and offered to help him brand his cattle they are the best of friends but at first the squatterarchy of the coorong rose up in a body and named its hero martyr lord dolph then is a free selector he cattle farms a few thousand acres after an amateur fashion my lady breaks in the horses and takes care that the calves are branded it is said that she has an eye to business and does not disdain nuggeting she was a coorong girl a sancy scotch lassie and he married her because he was told that it was the correct thing for a bushman to have a wife he builds rustic bridges fancies pigs and poultry plays the piano and poses as a squatter in moleskins and a cabbage-tree hat she manages the farm a fair division of labour returned barrington you will find it dull at de Raba, continued mr ferris and lord dolph will probably propose a visit to Corobin. mr longleat will be in leichardt's town occupied with political matters unless indeed the ministry goes out at the beginning of the session i shall however be charmed to introduce you to my wife and daughter you may or may not see miss longleat that will be as the caprice takes her your allusions to this young lady pique my curiosity is the enchantress of coolrobin a person indeed out of the common or is she merely a pretty rustic spoiled by flattery rustic repeated mr ferris chuckling soft to himself i dare say that you have seen some of the most beautiful women in europe nevertheless you will certainly admire honoria longleat a fine piece of flesh with money to enhance her charms she is an only child then no mr longleat has been twice married his first wife the mother of honoria was a beautiful drab whom i believe he picked up at the diggings his second was the daughter of a squatter on the ubi ubi she died at the birth of a girl her only one now a child of seven the premier's matrimonial arrangements and my own have been curiously similar i also have had two wives my second is still living i have my theory sir upon marriage as upon other subjects i consider a carefully discriminated diversity the important element in the generation of a perfect type since i could not succeed in making a mark in the world i was determined to beget a celebrity i chose my wife upon physiological principles the result would have been all that could have been desired had she presented me with a son mrs ferris has failed in the one duty which i required of her you see disappointment is my doom but miss longleat's fortune suggested barrington recalling the old man to his own point of interest true when honoria longleat's eldest daughter was a baby in arms old jem baggett a ticket-of-leave man and the premier's pal when they drove bullock-teams together between leichardt's town and kooya 
left her a bit of land in the Tarangella district, which was then considered of little value. This bit of land is now the great Tarangella tin mine, bringing in somewhere about 4,000 per annum. And is this fortune absolutely her own? asked Barrington excitedly. It will be absolutely upon the day that she is twenty-one. At present the income is accumulating for her benefit. Oh, she is a great heiress. There's Kulrabin and Mundabera, the valley of the Leichardt, the house in Leichardt's town, and the Lord knows how many political pickings to be divided between her and little Janie and she is her father's favourite a fine thing to be transported in the old days eh if a man had brains and luck a fine thing for a woman to be handsome and rich what does it matter if her father was a bullock-driver and her mother mr ferris shrugged his shoulders significantly in polite society nobody asks any embarrassing questions there's only one thing in the world better than money and beauty and that's genius i have a daughter too mr barrington and i am as proud of her as longleat is of his but in a different way a very different way miss ferris is talented perhaps said barrington my angela will be a great artist said mr ferris lifting his head with a sublimity of conviction that amused while it silenced his companion sir he added with a kind of proud humility i know my weakness i know my failings the soul of genius was born with me but not the power of fulfilment i have prayed that i might be the father of an artist who should combine inspiration and execution do i not know the ecstasy of vision and the hell of inability i said to myself i will beget a son who shall be great two generations could not be foredoomed to failure instead of a son a daughter was born to me a frail creature visionary and mystical with an extraordinary development of the creative faculty from the day that as a child she drew upon the floor and wall rough sketches with a piece of chalk i devoted her to the cause of art nature has been her nurse cradled in the lap of inspiration she has led an ideal life among woods and mountains it is for her sake that i labour for her sake that i submit to insult and degradation i have saved a thousand pounds to be expended upon her artistic education in a year's time i shall take her to italy in ten the name of ferris will be renowned barrington listened in amused toleration of the old man's tall talk he no more believed in angela ferris's genius than he believed in honoria longleat's beauty yet he felt a languid interest in both subjects and would have liked to pursue them clearly there was a covert antagonism between ferris and his patron and being an observer of human nature in default of better occupation barrington was ready to follow up the current of jealousy and crabbed conceit to its source the old man however rose abruptly you seem a link between my former life and the present your companionship has excited me beyond my want and i have talked of matters which are purely personal pray attach no importance to my wandering speech i am a soured old man now i have smoked out my pipe and the storm is threatening closely there has been heavy rain in leichardt's town i'll say good-night you start early to-morrow morning but we shall meet ere long at cool robin mr ferris shuffled indoors to the coffee-room and thence to bed End of chapter three